growing hostilities towards Jesus the Christ continue to mount forward against him from the religious leaders of the day and their subordinates, their loyalists in the crowds. And we want to endeavor, together you and I, this hour, John chapter 7, verses 25 and following, for our Sermon Sunday session. Stefan Maia with you at itsouls.com, my website, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com, our church site. So, thus far we have certainly... Um, been reading and studying and seeing um, what has been taking place against Jesus in his ministry, revealing the truth, speaking the truth, and um, it brings great offense to those who were in control, those who were in control and when you have individuals who are in control, such as these prideful brutes, these bullies, these self-righteous hypocrites who sought the praise of men through their manipulation, creating academic pursuit, binding it as law, calling it tradition, all these things, um, Jesus posed a threat to them and uh, their greed, their way of life and their worldview. Believers, so seen, religious leaders, so recognized and identified in the community. So who are these individuals? A bit of background, I suppose, or context, platform, so we can understand exactly what's taking place against Jesus. Well, what's happening is what you find in the Sanhedrin, a body of 71 members divided in three parties, if you will, from what I've been able to research and read from individuals who are far more smarter than I am, edumacated. And uh, from what has been revealed in the first century regarding the Sanhedrin, this body of 71 members, divided in three parties, if you will, is the first party being the chief priests. Hmm? The chief priest uh, in involvement would have been, of course, the more so uh, political, the class, uh, how do you spell that, or how do you pronounce that, ecclesiastical aristocrats, right? That's what you'd find there in Jerusalem. And um, they were uh, a party of the Sadducees, mostly so. Party of the Sadducees, mostly so. Acts chapter 5, verse 17, for, for reference there. And then you had a uh, their interest being of the temple. Their interest would have been of the temple. And then you had the elders. Now the elders were not priests, but uh, they were in cooperation with the policies of the chief priests. And this, of course, is political. It's a political body who utilizes religious uh, law to their interpretation for their control and all kinds of stuff going on with that in the first century, of course, with this, uh, this uh, inspired history. 
Well, the elders, of course, they were not priests or anything, but they uh, they connected with the priest for uh, political purposes, for policy, uh, which stood against uh, or stood in opposition to the Pharisees. And that brings in our third class of the Sanhedrin, which would be the Pharisees, the scribes or lawyers, right? Uh, these were the educated individuals, uh, the scholarly type. Um, they were educated in Jewish law and their traditions. And uh, they were strict to the observance of these things that they would bind on individuals. And uh, their primary interest would be in the synagogues rather than the temple. And uh, although the Sanhedrin body of 71 members would constantly be bickering or in opposition to one another, as one would find perhaps with the governing parties, if you're seeking an illustration close to or to make sense of uh, what you would find over there in the White House in America or what you would find over here in Canada at our parliament and the various bodies uh, or the body and the various uh, political parties in opposition against each other to see whose policy is going to win the day. Basically, you know, two wings on the same bird. And um, that's what was going on. And they don't get along. They're always at each other's throat. They're always seeking to oppose each other with one uh, or another policy. And we see that, of course, when they challenged Jesus in Matthew 19 regarding marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They wanted to know which political party Jesus was going to affiliate himself with. Is he going to side with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or various other schools of thought? And, of course, Jesus is like, I don't side with any of you. I side with the Father, who from the very beginning made male, female, husband, wife to be one. You know, all that kind of good stuff that we should <laughs> respect and honor today as well. Uh, so, yeah. They, 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 they were constantly bickering, this, this body of religious believers, um, and um, they were considered, of course, they knew themselves to be the sons of the kingdom. They were Jews, Judaism. They were believers. They were known as the people of God, if you will, right? Well, as it may be, they may find opposition in each other, trying to defeat each other in this political realm, uh, but when it comes to a mutual enemy, <laughs> they, they tend to get united real quick in wanting to extinguish the threat. And what is the threat? Well, Jesus the Christ is the threat, of course. So all of them, all these various parties in the Sanhedrin, making up the 71, bo uh, 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 71 member body here, uh, they all have the same problem, Jesus. They're losing control. They're losing control. They get desperate. And when an individual loses control, an entity of sorts, a principality, a power, a governing power, loses control, they start to lash out. They start to lash out and they start to accuse falsely and bear false witness and slander and demonize and all that kind of nonsense takes place. It's a, an outward expression of an inward fear they have because they're losing control of the citizenry. People are starting to wake up to what's going on. Hey, wait a minute. You know, They don't like that. They have to extinguish that. And that's been going on roughly around, I think, John chapter 5. Jesus 
ignites this hostility within them uh, when he exposes their hypocrisy and also when Jesus simply is being Jesus and fulfilling the ministry of the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen savior, the coming king to be crowned of the kingdom. And uh, he does so by teaching them with great authority. Great authority he is teaching them that he is equal with the Father, that he is God on earth, the Son of God, the Messiah. Oh man, they don't want to hear none of that. That cannot be the case because they had a criteria of three points in which had to be fulfilled in their minds according to the interpretation they had with the scripture. And the first one is, well, Jesus, we would not, uh, the Christ to come, we have, we would not know uh, of where he comes from. He'd just appear on the scene one day. You know, that's one of their criteria. That's one of the qualifications of the, to the Messiah. So Jesus can't be the Messiah because, well, we know his parents. We know where he comes from. Galilee. He's Jesus of Nazarene. The Nazarene. You know, he's he, his mother's Mary. His father's Joseph. He's not the Messiah. We won't know when the Messiah comes. And, of course, they base that from an interpretation that they, they, they created uh, from uh, a location in Daniel and a location also, I think, in Malachi, if I'm not mistaken. And so to, to them, the three-point criteria for the Messiah to be the Messiah is, one, we wouldn't know where he comes from. He'd just appear on the scene one day. So we wouldn't know that he's a Galilean, he's from, Jeru uh, from uh, Nazareth, and his parents, you know, we know his parents. Nor would it be from a lowly birth like that. He'd come from the lineage of the religious leaders. He'd be a Pharisee, of course, or a chief priest or an elder, whatever. He'd be part of the Sanhedrin. He'd be educated through us. He'd be approved. He'd receive justification through our stampage, you know, because, again, these individuals, they'd search the scriptures to find salvation within themselves. And here comes Jesus talking about salvation don't come from man comes from God? No, that's not permissible. That can't be right. And so the other criteria, of course, to um, uh, the people's mind was a bit more accurate to the fact that they would, this individual, this Messiah, would perform signs. Well, Jesus certainly performed signs. So much so, some of them honest enough to say, well, man, if this is if this is not the Messiah, then I don't know who is. We'll be looking at that shortly as we get into the text. We're building a bit of platform here in our introduction so that we understand what we're looking at. So they were hostile towards Jesus, of course, for many reasons. One of them is meeting these three-point criteria. The third being, of course, now what is it? Oh, how do I remember it? Ah, yes, the lineage from David. And uh, so... Jesus didn't meet their, 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 their qualifications, their criteria, in a great many of them. So we got to get rid of him. They would have got rid of him anyways. He was just not going to conform to their traditions, uh, to their faulty interpretation of the scriptures, and to the corrupt nature of their heart. The motive of their heart was not right. It was not humble. And, uh, well, that's why we see... In the text, starting in chapter 5 in John, Jesus teaching and uh, moving forward, how these here were seeking to murder him. They were seeking to murder him, to harm him, to apprehend him, to uh, 
basically, you know, dispose of him, get rid of him, erase him. We need to get rid of him. He's a threat to our control. We control the people. We are the gatekeepers, the key holders. They need us to understand the will of God, for they had placed themselves as God on earth, if you will. And so having Jesus here telling them, hey, you don't need to be a slave to these Pharisees anymore. Well, that's the threat. And the Pharisaical ilk would have been more alongside the streets with the people, okay? The chief priests would be more concerned with the temple, a bit more uh, separated from the people, so would the elders, but uh, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees more so would have been with the people in the streets, okay, to make sure they maintain control, <laughs> maintain a presence and a praise they sought from the people, this preeminence they sought. And uh, Jesus, of course, was getting in the way of that. He was uh, creating a problem, and uh, they need to get rid of him. And so you find the descriptive nature of these individuals, uh, the chief priests and Pharisees. When you see that kind of language in the Bible, it's speaking of the Sanhedrin and, and everything we just explained to you in regards to that context. Uh, you would find the crowds, their subordinates, their loyalists, and those who were on the fence and those who were uh, being... Um, uh, converted to to the Christ, to following Jesus. Uh, um, all of this was taking place, of course, and it was quite. It must have been quite the um, the experience to witness uh, during the first century. We, of course, are blessed to have the perfect law of liberty. We can open the words of the Holy Spirit, these witnessed and recorded accounts, and the quoted words of our Master, and find great fulfillment and purpose, guidance, command love for you know this is a beautiful thing well the crowds of course hearing the messiah and the things take the things taking place they, they're found descriptively by the holy spirit's pen writing that they were grumblers you know they were grumbling they were whispering they were gossiping they were uh, seeking to murder him all these things were taking place and it, it, it it's quite uh revealing how jesus um was found pretty much alone in this mission, you know, pretty much alone. Um, his own siblings didn't believe in him, and uh, his own people, his own culture, uh, the religious body of leaders, as we so mentioned, the Sanhedrin should have warmly welcomed him immediately and known him to be the Messiah, the Christ, but their hearts were so hardened in their own hypocrisy and self-righteousness and uh, they did just did, couldn't see it, man. They just couldn't see him for who he truly was. And many individuals in superficial faith, they were just attracted to the miraculous, uh, his miraculous nature or the controversy it, it created. Uh, and, and, you know, they sought more to follow him because of entertainment purposes than really genuinely see who he truly was. And we've seen thus far that the Gentile, you know, the heathen, the pagan, the Greek, the Roman, uh, these types were more so willing to humble themselves and recognize him as the restorer, the one who has been spoken of, uh, you know, and uh, that's fascinating to me how that takes place. So all of this happening, leading us, of course, to the portion of scripture where we're going to read together and, and kind of um, look into chapter 7, John, verse 25 and following verse 25 and following. It says, verse 25, 
So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Some of them would have known this information because of the Pharisaical ilk, which was more so intertwined in the streets with the people. And uh, they wanted to murder him. I mean, that's not um, hidden from uh, everyone. Some would have known this, of course, and the text speaks of it, how they sought to uh, do that uh, to Jesus. And so some uh, whispering that to one another would have known so they they spot and recognize the situation and, and say that, you know, well, isn't this the guy they're seeking to kill? And of course, there are questions asked thus far from the people, some speaking one way or another. And I highly encourage you to go back to the archive video sessions we've had thus far if you want to just catch up to the accounts and the context and the teaching taking place here. But... So, yeah, that's what they have to say. Is this not the man whom they are seeking to murder, to kill? Look, they say in verse 26, he is speaking publicly, and they are not, or, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not, uh, the rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? These are some of the, people here in Jerusalem. This is what they're saying. Remember, the context, as we explained in our last session, last Sunday session, well, the feast is taking place. And this feast is a very important feast to the Jews. They thank God for the water, which provides nourishment to the crops to which give them fellowship and this wonderful blessing. They thank God for an event that would take, I think it was understood, eight days. The eighth day understood between them as the last day. And uh, it was a very important experience for them to participate in as the Jews in Jerusalem. And remember how our last session, we read how Jesus' siblings were urging him to go to this location so that he could have of course, the blessing of the religious leaders of the day, if he was truly going to be credible in this, in this public uh, revealing he spoke of being the Messiah. Well, you know, you can't be the Messiah unless you go through the proper channels. <clears throat> well, Jesus was not going to go there under their terms. He was going to go there under his time. <clears throat> That's exactly what takes place. So these people, of course, are recognizing him now among them here. And he say, they say, look, he's speaking publicly. He's speaking publicly. And they are saying nothing to him. Why is that? Aren't they seeking to kill him? Why aren't they doing anything? The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? Well, they don't really have an idea what's going on, do they? There's some scrambling going on. However, verse 27, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Remember the criteria I spoke to you about? We know who this man is. From Galilee. He's a Nazarene. His mother was Mary and his father was Joseph, the son of a carpenter. We know who this man is. But when the Messiah comes, yeah, we won't know. So this man isn't the Messiah. So what's going on? 
I mean, I thought they wanted to kill him already. Then Jesus cried out in the temple. Now, before that, he was speaking to his immediate entourage, those who would have been around him, right? But now he is a herald. <clears throat> he, is, he is becoming very loud. He wants to make sure everyone over there hears what he has to say. Because it's very important, obviously, and it's necessary. So Jesus cried out in the temple. Remember the temple? That is indeed the location in which the chief priest would have been more concerned with. Um, he's teaching. It's not just saying something to say something. He's teaching them. If they'd be wise to pay attention to what he's teaching them, of course. And that is this. You both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Wow. No wonder they crucified him. They weren't going to take none of that. What is he saying? Well, they know what he's saying. Let's go through that again. These individuals here, these people in the crowds in Jerusalem, they were saying, hey, isn't this the guy they're supposed to kill? Or they want to kill or something? We know who he is. I mean, we know his background. When the Messiah comes, we won't know about him. He'll just appear on the scene here. So what's going on, really? And then Jesus, of course, has the miraculous ability to hear the whispers, to know the inner hearts of mankind, and to take hold of that opportunity and teach them. And so he proceeds to do so in a time in which he is not having the support of his siblings, his own people, his own culture, <laughs> yet still he stands firm in the truth. He's not going to deviate. He's not going to allow himself to be contaminated. And would that really have changed anything, if we're being honest with each other? Would that have changed anything if Jesus would have if Jesus would have said, you know what, fine, you want to call me a liar, a deceiver, a thief, the devil, a blasphemer? I'm guilty of all those things. Can we get along now, please? Even if Jesus would have lied to falsely take guilt that did not belong to him on trumped-up charges, slander, all that kind of stuff. Do you think that do you think the religious body, the, the leaders of the day, would have said, Oh, all right, then I guess we can get along. You can go ahead and teach now. No, 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 no. They would have told them the same thing. You're not allowed to preach here anymore. Go away. Go away. You're sick. You're toxic. You're insane. You're crazy. You're abusive. You're a deceiver. You're a liar. You're a thief. Blasphemer. You devil. You criminal. It wouldn't have ended there. He could have, he could have bowed down and kissed the rings of the Pharisees all day long. Telling them how sorry he is. Please make me a subordinate. Please make me a subordinate. <clears throat> Nothing would have changed. Can't change these kind of people. Their hearts are so darkened. I mean, some of them saw Jesus raise people from the dead. 
and still refused to follow the man and believe that he was the Messiah. So don't be too alarmed today, even in our time, when the spirit of these pharisaical types found behind pulpits and in elderships, well, they ain't gonna humble their hearts, are they? They're gonna keep doing what they do, create chaos, all kinds of devastation and sorrow. Well, Jesus is not going to allow himself to be contaminated. He's not going to bow down to that. He's going to stay true, obedient to his Father in heaven. And he's going to tell them the truth, because they need to hear it. You both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself. And that, too, is such a, a piercing challenge to their hearts, you know. What does he mean? Well, he knows what he means, and you know what he means, too. Look at how that is very similar to what we learned last week as we were reading in the same chapter. Oh, what's the verse now here? Oh, yeah, verse 16. I'm looking at my Bible while I'm speaking to y'all. In, in verse 16, it says, My teaching is not mine. Well, wait a minute. What is he saying? Well, as we explained in our last session there, and I, again, encourage you to go check out the archive video, uh... The gospel, the message of the kingdom to which he was soon to be crowned, the gospel message of salvation, the redemption of mankind, the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Messiah, the kingdom, the body, the church, all of it, the good news, doesn't come from the mind of man. Man didn't get bored one day and say, let's concoct one of the most elaborate religious fables ever known to mankind, you know. No, 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 no. We aren't, we, we aren't edumacated enough for that. <laughs> this comes from a divine source. It doesn't come from the will of men. It doesn't come from flesh and blood. Now do you see how important the Holy Spirit's words were when, through John... He wrote chapter 1 in regards to the new birth, that the new birth in which all must participate in in order to find salvation and be added to the kingdom, the church, the body of believers. Do you see how important it is when John said in chapter 1 that this new birth is not of flesh and blood or the will of men? It's not a product of procreation. It doesn't find itself submissive to the natural realm. It's not you and I coming up with this story. Well, let's just invent something. Take the world by storm. We'll call it the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. This is from divine origin. This is sourced from a, from a, 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 a deity, a power greater than what we see with each other here on this earth. And the religious leaders and the Jews of the day were so accustomed to looking on the earth. Looking on the earth, where? The religious leaders. They searched the scriptures to find salvation in themselves. They became the gatekeepers, the key holders, the equivalent today of us saying, well, I need, to, I need the preacher to tell me 
I need the pastor, the reverend, the priest, the pope, mom, dad, neighbor, co-worker, friend, family. I need someone else. I need something. I need... Because we tend to think that all of this comes from the mind of man, so therefore there must be a man to tell us what's true and what's not. No, it doesn't come from the mind of men. It's not from the will of man, from flesh and blood. Now do you see how important this new birth was? Men did not invent the new birth. Being baptized, immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, buried, born out of water and the Spirit. It's not about the water and it's not about the individual helping you get down into the water. <laughs> that birth is a spiritual birth, but you won't see it if you have worldly eyes. You need faith. Aha! Without faith, you can't be pleasing to God. Hebrews 11.6 But we know also from Paul that faith is not enough. It takes love. You may have faith to move mountains, but if you don't have love, it's kind of vain, useless. You see how powerful this new birth is? It don't come from man. It comes from God. Okay. Well, the gospel message in which one who would warmly receive and believe would organically, in a very... Uh, moving forward kind of way, be immersed into the body. Well, they were so accustomed to the religious leaders of the day being the end all says all, it kept them under their control. And the Sanhedrin was losing control of that very power they selfishly indulged in. We got to get rid of Jesus. We got to get rid of this guy. He's telling them they no longer need to follow us. Uh-oh, that's a problem. I'm going to lose money here. Well, that's why in chapter 7, he says, uh, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of my own self. The gospel is not a message that comes from man, is what he's saying. As Jesus, amen, it doesn't come from me. But he who sent me is true, the Father. He's speaking a language they could understand. They, did, they understood it. They just didn't want to accept it. Whom you do not know. And that's just, that. well, how do you, what do you mean we do not know? We have the Abrahamic lineage. We are the sons of the kingdom. We are the Jews. We are the house of Hebrew. What do you mean? How dare you say that we do not know the Father? We are the direct representatives in, to the Father. You see, they had people under control so, so much so that to, to know the Father, you had to go through them. It's the only way. They're the gatekeepers, the key holders. You see what's going on here? Are you with me? Are we with Jesus or are we with the Pharisees and the chief priests and all of the Sanhedrin and their loyalists and their subordinates? Who are we with? Jesus is telling them, whom you do not know. The equivalent, of course, of the preacher today behind the pulpit looking at Christians saying, you guys don't know who Jesus is. Well, they'd crucify you. Of course they would. It's the same thing. As if Jesus was 
walking among us today in our era, our generation, saying, you Christians, you call yourself Christians, but you don't even know the Christ. <clears throat> Man, we'd want to nail them all over again, wouldn't we? Have you ever tried to tell believers they aren't saved? Ho, 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 ho. Oh, you must be a cult leader. You must be the devil. You're a blasphemer. You're a deceiver. <laughs> really? Okay. You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Well, if that isn't bad enough, what does he follow up saying? I know him. What? Oh, so we don't. The ones who were born and raised in the covenant, who know the law, grew up to recite, teach, preach, meditate upon the law, bind the law. We don't know the Father, but you do. From Galilee and Azarine, the carpenter's son. The son of Mary and Joseph. Sure, right, sure. How do we get rid of them? How do we get rid of them? They would have not had had that. They knew he was speaking the truth. They were losing control. And they were showing that to be, to, to, to be the case by their outward actions. Jesus says, I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Again, what has he been teaching them? The very same thing. I and the and the, I and the Father am one. They can't, no way, can't be true. So they were seeking, verse 30, of course, to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And that sounds familiar to our last session, doesn't it? In verse 6 of the same chapter. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here. No, 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 Don't get it twisted, my dear friends. Jesus died when he chose to die. No, 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 no. He did so of his own free will. God so loved the world. He loved us in this way. He sent his only begotten son. He's in control, dear friends. Why do you think Jesus told the Roman powers when they were, when they were uh, challenging him? Why do you think Jesus told them, you, you, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to have apprehended me. You wouldn't be able to do anything to me if it was not allowed to you. If it was not allowed, if it was not made permissible to you to do so, you could not do that. You can do you can do anything to me. Jesus is in control here. God is in control here. Let us never miss the mark with this one. God is in control. He is not going to be apprehended and murdered. Uh, 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 before the time that is set. Before the time that is set. 
I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him and no man had laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It's just not time yet. It's just not time yet. He knew they wanted to murder him. He knew they wanted to uh, take hold of him, get rid of him. They were losing control. He knew that. It wasn't time yet. He was practicing prudence, self-defense, wisdom, insight. He was being very wise. He knew it was not time. And there is nothing mankind could have done to tort his plan to give up his, the spirit at the hour he had chosen. Before mankind was even formed, before Adam and Eve was even walking on this earth, it was pre-planned and known at what very specific moment Christ was going to die on that cross for the salvation of mankind. Both of those who loved him and those who hated him. <laughs> An opportunity had been created, a door, a pathway forward, a narrow gate. This was prophesied from the prophets of old. It was birthed from the mind of God. It was promised by the Christ, purchased by his blood. And my dear friends, it must be practiced by our faith. This gospel here, this message, it don't come from mankind. It don't come from the will of men, from flesh and blood. Why do you think they want to seize him and murder him? His own people. The equivalent today of Christians wanting to crucify the Christ. Believers. But we see time and time again in the scriptures, faith, if it doesn't have love, it's useless. Belief, if it doesn't have obedience, is useless. And we know, scripturally speaking, that there is no meritorious no meritorious earning of our salvation. We can't boast of any works we do. Telling God, hey man, you better save me. I've done all these good things on earth. Are Christians called to be morally upright, kind, decent human beings, participating in the community for the greater good? Well, of course we are. Matter of fact, James would say that if you're not... A benevolent, kind, loving heart. Man, you're messing around with your salvation. Right? If they would have only listened to him. If they would have only listened to the words he was saying. And have the humble heart to receive him and follow him and know him to be God. They should have. They should have. They were the people who had the law, the prophets. Jesus himself told them, you, you speak of Moses, but if you, if you knew Moses, you'd know me. Moses spoke of me. No, but he doesn't fit their three-tier the, 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 the three uh, criteria, qualification in their minds. According to their academic pursuits, they sense bound as tradition and all their ways, very corrupt, very corrupt. And sadly, sadly, those same kind of uh, delinquencies uh, are found in a many church, in a many churches, uh, and that's uh, that's so sad. That shouldn't be the case. They 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 could have 
They could have been with him. They could have loved him. Ah, man, it's just so sad. So sad. Okay, well, that brings to a conclusion our session. We will certainly, Lord willing, move forward with verse... Uh, what is it now? Oh, yeah. No, actually, I'm trying to cut us too short here. There's verse 31 I forgot to do before we conclude this session. Let's do verse 31, shall we? Okay, so the, they were seeking to seize him, were they not? And they couldn't lay a hand on him. It was not his time. He was going to choose when this was going to happen. And it wasn't then and there. There was still more to be taught, and the ministry was not yet coming to its end, and so they weren't going to be able to apprehend him. So in verse 31, many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, and this is what they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Well, I mean, some had enough sense to recognize that. This man can control the weather, make whole the lame, cure the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, have inner insight within the thoughts of mankind in a depth that no one we've ever seen practice. If he ain't the Messiah, I don't know who is. What are we waiting for? Now, their measurement of faith or belief may not have yet flourished to where it needed to land, but it was enough to know that there's something very unique and different with this man here on this earth. They might have been, they might have grown their faith through what they saw him miraculously do, but they needed to keep going with that to make it to the point, the sign is there for a reason. It points to something greater. So you've seen him cast a demon? That in and of itself does not save your soul from eternal damnation. What does? Look at the sign. Where does it point to? Aha! The words he speaks. The words he spoke are spirit. And therein, if we read, if we hear and read, we learn, we believe, we trust, we obey, we receive the blessing of salvation. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't come from the will of men. It comes from God. Why do you think Jesus challenged them in saying, where does the baptism of John come from? Well, the same can be asked of us today regarding the new birth, to be born again. Where does that come from? How are we born again? Is it the will of men? Okay, who said so? When and where and why? Or does it come from heaven, from God? Oh, if so, we best obey it now, should we? Of course. Ah. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? You see, he had individuals there in the crowd. Remember what we spoke about in our introduction, building platform to this context, this portion of Scripture? Some in there were genuinely paying attention to what was going on. And they were like, man, I don't know. Do you know someone else who can raise the dead? Someone who's been in the grave without a pulse for four days? 
Man, if he ain't the Christ, I don't know who is. Now, again, that faith may not have matured to where it needed to go, which was, this is the Messiah, the Son of God, his words. If you obey them and receive them warmly, have the power to save your soul. Wow. But it's a, it's a very good start that they can at, at the very least be honest enough to recognize that what this man is, per, the things this man is doing are not what we can do, for sure. Oh, and how the religious leaders hated him for it, because they claimed they could have those powers to do those things, but they didn't. It's just like today with a great many fraudulent individuals who claim to have the power of God. They don't. You want, you want to witness the power of God? You read his word. You investigate those words. You study those words. You come to believe those words. So much so you start to act on those words. Because God is merciful. His grace is good. It teaches us. So much more to learn in this chapter. And we will, Lord willing, do so next Sunday. Isn't that awesome? I think so. If you would like to know more personally, sit down and have a study with us, by all means, reach out to us. You can find me over at addedsouls.com or eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. You can send us a private message. If you are found on the east coast of Canada, in New Brunswick, in the Tri-City, by all means, reach out to us. We can sit down and study these things further. There's nothing more we'd love to do than serve you, pray for you. Um, we're in this together. And as Jesus spoke, we need no Pharisee. We don't need the Sadducees. We don't need, we don't need these individuals as gatekeepers and keyholders. We can just together follow the book, follow his word. And therein we will find the instruction to salvation and our purpose in this life as legal citizens of his kingdom. And that's, that's exactly what he was trying to teach them. If they just pay attention, if they just pay attention. Of course, all of this came to be and was witness recorded in the book of Acts, right? As the prophets had prophesied in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman Empire, with great outpouring power from the Holy Spirit upon the twelve chosen vessels who stood up among the people and proclaimed the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ, and all those who were pierced, all those who warmly received those words, well, they changed their mind, didn't they? In the direction of their life, and each and every one of them independently accountable, intellectually capable, they were fully immersed plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, buried with Christ. That's faith, my friends. That takes faith. They were added to the kingdom, the church, the body, the location in which the saved are gathered. It's a spiritual house, and you need spiritual eyes to see it. What a beautiful thing that is. Stefan Maia with you. Stay focused. Stay positive. Till next time. God bless.